I remember thinking after a week, man, I might have even lost this. I've taken so much time. And finally, I just, I think it was Saturday morning, I, I put an offer out. I sent it to him by email and I texted him right away and said, hey, I sent you an offer. And he called me within five minutes and said, hey, I'm just driving. Let me pull over here. And he pulled it up on his phone and said, Welcome to School of Success, the podcast that will help you reach your goals and become the success story you've always dreamed of. Join us on our journey as we explore the strategies, tools, and tactics needed to build health, wealth, and personal development. Together, we'll uncover the secrets to living life to its fullest with host Brandon Hicks. So let's get started and make your dreams come true. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of School of Success. In the last episode, we talked about finding my first off-market self-storage facility by cold calling just about six weeks after I had hired my virtual assistant. And so now we are touring the facility. As I mentioned, I remember being a little bit nervous, not knowing what to say, and turns out it all went really well. I was able to build some rapport with the owner. He was just a good-hearted businessman that wanted to retire and kind of start downsizing his business and start to relax a little bit more. And so I remember getting to the end of the tour and thinking, okay, I've never really done a negotiation before and certainly not done one live in person, you know, this day and age with technology and just being on the phone or being up behind Zoom. It's a completely different thing doing that in person. But I remember having a few ideas in mind of, okay, you might ask what I want to pay. And so I had an idea in mind, but it's really hard to determine a price without unit mix and seeing a profit and loss statement, knowing exactly what the expenses are. A lot of owners will say, what do you want to pay? And they want you to throw that first number out. So I was a little bit prepared for that from just listening to other podcasts. But I also wanted to bring up seller financing. And to my surprise, he actually brought it up for me. We got to the end of the tour and we were just chatting and he's like, I bet you want seller financing, don't you? And I was like, wow, that was easier to bring up than I thought. I think that ultimately he knew that was going to be needed for this facility. It was a little bit older of a property. It needed some work. The roof had been leaking. So we knew that the roof needed to be replaced in some sections and certainly fixed or maintained in others. So there was some capital expenses that needed to be taken care of. And so I think that he, one, knew that that was probably going to be needed for this deal. But two, I think we've talked about this a little bit, but the benefit to the seller in terms of offering seller financing or creative financing is that he's been getting this passive income from this facility for many years. And as soon as you sell that, one, he's going to have a large capital event. You know, if I pay him a million dollars, he's going to have to pay taxes on that million dollars and he's probably going to lose 30 or 40%. That's a big chunk of money. Or you can strike up some sort of creative financing deal, which we ended up doing where he becomes the bank. And instead of me going to regional or a national bank to get lending on this deal, and instead of making payments to a regular bank like that, I make payments to the seller. He had owned it for so long, there was no mortgage on the property anymore. And so that's a great way for him to sell the property, but still get passive income. It's actually going to be even potentially more passive of a return for him because he's no longer operating the property, dealing with the headaches of tenants not paying. You know, he doesn't have to handle any of that anymore. So it's certainly a win-win situation for both of us. And like I said, it was fantastic that he just brought that up for me. That was something that I was a little nervous to bring up. You never know how someone's going to react. Of course, all they have to do is say no, but he did it for me, which was fantastic. 
Another tricky thing for me in this deal, especially with my background in engineering, I like data, I like numbers, and I like certainty as low of risk as possible. And I've struggled with analysis paralysis, um, probably because usually I'm used to having so much data and I want to just keep analyzing and not move forward. In this situation, this is actually like the opposite where because of the nature of the mom and pop business and the way it was run, he didn't have a profit and loss statement readily available and didn't have an updated rent roll that I could refer to. And those are like the two key pieces of information or data that you really need to get started on your underwriting and have confidence in your underwriting. Without seeing the performance over the last 12 months or longer from rents that are being collected and what those expenses are over that period of time, it's really hard to understand how the property is performing today or in the last 12 months and what its current valuation is. And then two, figuring out what its value is going forward. Knowing what the utilities have been like for the last 12 months is a good indication of what they will be going forward unless you're going to add climate controlled units or you're going to do something that drastically changes the electrical or the insulation of the building. So things like that, like the utilities or services, maybe it's landscaping or snow removal. The historical numbers here help give you an idea of what you should expect to account for in the future. So without having that data, it's really hard to make a informed offer that you have confidence in. That was a struggle for me. And the way I got around that was I brought this deal to my coach and said, hey, I think I've got a great opportunity here. Would you partner with me on this? I'll give you a percentage of the deal. In return, I'm looking for your expertise. I will figure out the lending. I'll figure out the capital raising. I don't need you to sign on any debt. I just need your expertise. And in return for that, I'm willing to give you a percentage of the deal. And we came to an agreement. So that was one of the first things was just getting someone with experience on my team. And then from there, we were able to review and say, okay, it's not ideal that we don't have the profit and loss statement, but here's what we can do. In our LOI or letter of intent, we will specify what documents we're looking for the seller to provide. Some of those things are bank statements, tax records, utility bills for the last 12 or however many months you're interested in. Any third-party reports, if there was an environmental report done, if there was a property inspections or certificates, all of these documents, we'll list these all out so in the offer it's clear to the seller what we're looking for. So there's no surprises when we get to the next stage, which is getting the property under contract. So what we said was we will ask for a minimum of 12 months of bank statements. And from there, you'll be able to see what money was coming into the bank accounts and what money was going out. And you can build a profit and loss statement from there. Now, that's not the ideal way to do it. And it was a lot more work on my part. But in the end, I was able to rebuild from scratch a profit and loss statement that all checked out with what the seller had shared with me. And so there's a little bit of risk in going this route though. Ideally, you'd have these before you make the offer. In this case, I didn't. And so what that meant was I had to make an offer with taking a little bit of a leap of faith. And then once the offer was accepted, now I'm hiring an attorney, we're negotiating on the contract. And in that time, I'm waiting for these documents to be furnished. But now I've hired an attorney. So now I've got an attorney working for me, charging time. And after 
just even a handful of hours. Now all of a sudden I've paid several thousand dollars before I can now see the bank statements. So there is a little bit of a financial risk in doing it this way. So it's just something to be aware of. That might be something that you run into at some point, especially if you're going off market. There's this great benefit to going to mom and pop sellers because a lot of times maybe they haven't updated the facility. They haven't raised rents in a while. Maybe it's not performing as well as it could so that you can come in and add a lot of value very quickly. But with that comes a little bit more work on your side, one, to find the deal, but two, to pull this information together that they might not have been um, actively keeping track of. Fortunately, it worked out for me where the seller was being honest and I really did believe that he was, but at the end of the day, if I'm going to make an investment, I really need to do my own due diligence and I can't just take someone's word for it. So I put a little bit of money at risk by hiring that attorney, got the bank statements and very quickly built the profit and loss statement to confirm that yes, these numbers were accurate. This actually was my first offer that I had submitted to an owner. It's my first LOI. And that was significant for me because I had come across a lot of deals and I never made offers. In my mind, it was, well, this is a low offer. I'm not going to bother. And at that time, the real estate market was really strong. A lot of um, multiple offers coming in, bidding wars, things like that. And with me having a low offer on a lot of the properties I was looking at, I thought, what's the point in submitting an offer? Now, you can make an argument one way or another because it does take some time to put an LOI together. But a broker won't see that you're serious until you start making offers. You know, you can message them all day long, but eventually if you're not actually submitting offers, they're going to think that you're just kind of wasting their time. And so I had kind of fallen into that trap of just saying, ah, I'm not going to submit an offer. And that's something I'm still even working on today. If it's a low offer, but the property meets my criteria, it matches the market demographics that I'm looking for. I am forcing myself to make an offer, even though it might be an offer that is a lot lower than the seller is looking for, because I want to bias myself towards taking that action towards showing brokers that I'm serious, because I know eventually brokers will see, wow, like, all right, he saw my deal online. He did the work to underwrite it, did all the work to learn the market, dug into the numbers and made an offer. That's a lot more than a lot of people are doing. And so I think that that's a good practice to get in. And at this time, this was my first offer I had ever made. And I remember overanalyzing the hell out of it. I remember, I think there was about a week of time where I was going through all these scenarios and I was overcomplicating it. Okay, if I seller finance it this way, and what if I have a first position loan and then a second position loan? I was trying to figure out how I could do it with as little bit of cash out of my pocket as possible. And after about a week, my coach's partner had said, you know what, you're overcomplicating this. Just put an offer in that strong and let's move forward. And I remember thinking after a week, man, I might've even lost this. I've taken so much time. And finally, I just, I think it was Saturday morning, I, I put an offer out. I sent it to him by email and I texted him right away and said, hey, sent you an offer. And he called me within five minutes and said, hey, I'm just driving. Let me pull over here. And he pulled it up on his phone and said, I accept. I think he had looked at it for like 30 seconds and he's like, da, 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 I accept. It just blew me away. I was like, this is my first offer. I analyzed it for a week and a half, thought about it so much. And here I'd send it over to him and he accepts in five minutes. I was like, wow, I really overthink things. And so that was a big lesson for me. But a good breakthrough for me, again, was moving forward without having all the data available to me. You know, if I didn't have my coach with some experience on my side, I might not have ever had made that offer because I would have been thinking, I don't have all the data available to me. I can't move forward. 
And in reality, you're not going to have all the data available to you. With investing comes some risk. And with that risk is some uncertainty. And you'll never be 100% certain. So you just have to know that going forward. And your job is to minimize and mitigate all the risks that you can along the way by hiring the attorney and ordering the environmental phase one, ordering the inspection, by doing the survey, by doing a financial document audit, by doing all this due diligence, you're continually de-risking the property and the investment and then establishing what are your exit strategies. This is my plan A, but I hear I can also do a plan B and a plan C. So if I can't refinance after a certain amount of time, I can hold on to the property and it'll still cash flow and my investors will still have strong returns. So doing all of this, you're continually de-risking the investment. And so that was a big lesson for me. Hey, I appreciate you listening to another episode of School of Success. I'm committed to helping others reach their full potential. So if you found value, please leave a five-star rating and review. With that, we can reach more people and help make their dreams come true.